0: So here we have the second I am saying in John's Gospel. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That's some of the most famous words that Jesus ever spoke. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I wonder if our fondness for this saying is connected to us all having the desire to be in the light. Since living on Isla, I have come to look forward to the long days of summer. After winter I genuinely count down the days until the clocks change. I love waking up with the sun shining through the windows in the morning and I love still being able to look out across the lock at 10 o'clock at night. It genuinely makes me feel better. And there is a reason for this. The human body is designed to be outside. When exposed to sunlight, our skin absorbs vitamin D, a crucial nutrient to build our bones. When exposed to sunlight, our brains work properly. The brain produces serotonin, which is the chemical that lifts our mood and makes us happier. And also when we're exposed to sunlight, our sleep patterns improve, which gives us more energy in the day. Scientists now predict that human beings spend 90% of their lives indoors. This is largely due to our increasing dependency on technology. So the vast majority of us don't get the natural light that we need for our bodies to work properly And it's one of the reasons that depression is rapidly increasing in the West. So light is good for us. And there is detailed evidence to prove it. But we also have a very emotional attraction to light, don't we? Dark alleys are frightening. When we're unsure about the future, we talk about being in the dark. When we're struggling... We refer to it as a dark time. To all human beings, light is the symbol of hope and peace, safety and joy. We all instinctively move towards the light. All of this is captured in those words of Jesus when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He is declaring that he has come to bring hope to our lives. He wants to bring us peace and safety and joy. He wants to give us life, life in all its fullness. Jesus wants us to seek him out just as we do light on a dark day, for we will benefit from him. Now we're in the middle of quite a dense section of John's Gospel. Chapters 7 and 8 are a long dispute between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. Jesus is trying to reveal who he is and why he has come to earth. The religious leaders are trying to catch him out and have him disposed of. It's a confrontation that rages back and forth and it can be quite difficult to keep up. To help us navigate our way through this passage, I'm going to hang on to this metaphor of light. And I'm going to use different sorts of light that we're familiar with today as illustrations to help us understand what Jesus is saying. And hopefully by the end, it will all make sense. Let's begin. First of all, when we think of Jesus as the light of the world, we can think of him as a guiding light, a torch for a dark night, street lights on a dark road. Jesus came to guide us safely to our destination. The great debate recorded here in John 7 and 8 took place a very significant moment in the Jewish calendar. It was the festival of tabernacles. For this festival, all the Jews from the rural regions around the city descended into Jerusalem for a great celebration. And when they got there, they put up makeshift shelters or tabernacles to stay in. And these were a reminder of the tents that their ancestors lived in when they journeyed through the wilderness for 40 years. The Festival of Tabernacles celebrated God's great provision to the nation as he took them from Egypt to the Promised Land. And as the Jews told this great story of old, it also gave them a chance to thank God for the way he had provided for them. Now one of the things that the pilgrims most looked forward to in coming into the big city was light. Because on the first night of the feast, four huge stands were set up, and in each stand there were four golden bowls filled with oil. These were then lit and allowed to burn through the night, sending a great glow over the city. Now remember, these are the days before public lighting. So to the people of the first century, the illuminated temple at night would have been spectacular. It would have drawn a crowd. Now these great lampstands were allowed to burn until the last night of the feast. And then they were extinguished, not to be relit until the crowds came back the next year. Now John chapter 8 tells the events of that last day. Jesus knows the lights in the city are about to go out. And no one there is looking forward to it. And in that context, he speaks these words I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But here is the important bit: why is the connection between light at night? to the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites all those centuries before? Why was this grand light display part of the festival? Well, let me read you a few verses from Exodus 13, because these will give us the answer. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. One of the things that God provided to his people as they journeyed through the wilderness was light, a great pillar of fire that lit up the sky. That fire assured the people that God was with them, and it also acted as their personal sat through the unknown terrain. So they didn't get lost or turn into trouble. The people were guided by light all the way from Egypt to the promised land. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, at this specific moment in the feast, this is a large part of what he is referring to. He has come down to earth as a light to guide us from our slavery into The Promised Land. He will lead us from the darkness of our lives to the great glory of God's kingdom. If we follow Jesus, we will find our way to safety. Jesus is our guiding light. The second thing that we're to think of when we hear Jesus say that He is the light of the world is that He is a beckoning light. I'm sure we've been on the ferry at night and we've seen the lights of Port Askeg or lights of Port and we thought, great, we're nearly there, we're nearly home. The ferry heads for the light and the beacons on the pier and the harbour walls show the crew where to go. Light beckons us in like moths to a flame. In verses 13 to 18, this great debate continues. Jesus has just made another great claim about himself, and the religious leaders demand more evidence that he has the authority to speak in the way that he is doing. In the Jewish law, it required two witnesses to prove that someone's testimony was true. Here, Jesus has declared to be the light of the world. Where were his two witnesses to back him up? Jesus' answer was that he did have two witnesses, he had his own word. And he had the testimony of his Father in heaven. Now amongst all this debate, which I don't want us to get too bogged down in, Jesus says something really important. He declares that it was his Father who sent him into the world. Listen again, verse 18. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father... Who sent me? Now, why is this so significant? It's significant because Jesus is making another subtle claim here to be the Messiah. All the Jews were waiting for the one God had promised to send into his world. The one that God had chosen and anointed and set apart for his purpose. The Jews knew that God was going to send his king. And here, almost under the radar, Jesus announces it is him. Now this is where things get interesting. Because one of the major Old Testament prophets that foresaw God sending his Messiah into the world was Isaiah. And in Isaiah's writings, he regularly refers to the Messiah as light. Light coming into the world. Just listen to these examples. Isaiah 42. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Or what about this from Isaiah 49? I will make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Or Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, but the Lord rises upon you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Do you see? Isaiah foresaw the Messiah coming into the world like a light. The Messiah would bring salvation first to the Jews and then he would act like a great beacon, a beckoning light that would draw all the nations in to God's people the Messiah be sent by God not just to be king of Israel but king of the whole world and what was it Jesus said I am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness not I'm the light of Israel or I'm the light of the Jews But I'm the light of the whole world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Whoever they are, regardless of age or race or gender or social status, my light is for all. Come and receive it. Jesus was sent into the world as a light to draw the world back to God. This means that for those of us here on Isla in 2023, we too are welcomed into God's light. And once we have done that, we're to play our part in reflecting it on further, so more can come to see it for themselves. Jesus is a guiding light, and he's a beckoning light, drawing people in to the family of God. Now the third thing that we need to think of when we hear that Jesus is the light of the world is that he is an exposing light. Now, what do I mean by that? I hate going to the dentist. I hate it. Anyone else with me on that? Yeah. Someone poking around in my mouth with a drill sends my anxiety off the charts. Now, when you go to the dentist, they shine a light in your mouth. Why does the dentist do this? They do it because the light exposes the flaws, the cracks, the holes, the decay. The light exposes what's wrong, so the dentist can then go on and fix it. And the same is true for us in the light of Jesus. The great holiness of God exposes our sinfulness. His perfection highlights our imperfection now by the time we reach john 8 jesus has been ministering in israel for some time and it's become clear what he's here to do he's come to do good he's taught god's word he's healed the sick he's welcomed in outsiders he's done great miracles and fed great crowds he's shown us all the good things that god wants to do for his people but despite the beauty of these things Jesus is still receiving a backlash from those in power. His goodness is emphatically exposing the hardness of their hearts. Their arrogance, their selfishness, their self-importance. In verses 19 to 26 of our reading, this tension is really beginning to escalate. On seeing that the religious leaders have no intention of listening to him, Jesus starts making some very serious pronouncements. You do not know me or my father, he says in verse 19. I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come, he says in verse 21. And then again in verses 23 and 24. You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sin. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. This is reality, people. In the light of God's holiness, our sin is exposed. We're not perfect. Far from it. We're not righteous. And we never will be in our own strength. Jesus came from the Father's kingdom and will soon be going back there. And there's absolutely no way we can get entry stained and dirty as we are. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short in some way. And the light of Jesus exposes that at times we're so unlike him in the way that we think and speak and act and jesus makes it clear that sin leads to death twice he pronounces it in quick succession you will die in your sins we all then need a savior and jesus declares that i am he I am he, he says in verse 24, I am the one you need. Reject me and you have no hope. Of course the religious leaders do not listen. Again they question his authority to say these things. But Jesus has been making it plain all along. He had been sent from heaven to teach God's word and call the people back. He has come to expose sin. So he can then go on and save us from it. So Jesus is a guiding light, a beckoning light, and an exposing light. There's one final thing I'd like to finish with. Have any of you ever seen those candles that when you blow them out, they come back alight again? Have you seen those? Maybe you had them on a birthday cake as a child, or maybe you put them on the cake of your child or grandchildren. The light of the candle is resilient. It just won't go out. You can blow it and it will come back. Blow it and it will come back. Now just look at how Jesus finishes this part of the debate. Jesus knows exactly how things are going to play out. He knows that the religious leaders that he is talking to are going to reject him. He knows that ultimately he's going to the cross. The cross is not an accident, it's a deliberate choice on God's part. Jesus is going there to die for the sins that he has just exposed. The religious leaders continue to question, who are you, Jesus? They refuse to believe that he has the authority to say the things that he is saying. But then in verses 27 to 30, Jesus announces that when he goes to the cross people will finally see and understand. Let me read these verses to you. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. On that first Good Friday, when Jesus died, darkness covered the land. The sun refused to shine. The light seemingly went out. But three days later, the light returned, like one of those candles on a cake. In these verses, Jesus is talking about resurrection. His resurrection would prove who he was and that his father was with him all the time and was pleased with what he had done. And again, Jesus' words here are based on a prophecy from Isaiah. Isaiah 53. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The Lord made his life an offering for sin. But after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many he will bear their iniquities three days after death the light of life would return jesus would rise again having conquered sin and death devil and hell and all would see he is truly god When Jesus had said these words, we read in verse 30 that some were beginning to believe in him. Us here today know so much more than them. We know how all of this is going to play out. Will we too believe in the light that we need? The promise is that if we do, we will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So we have thought today that Jesus is the light of the world. The light that guides us to God and eternal safety. The light that beckons the nations in. The light that exposes our sin and then returns from death to forgive it. This is the light we must turn to. This is the light we need more than any other.